artistry is real fucking hard. Like, let's just be honest. Like, it's really hard. Like, I think a lot of yeah. people doing it for a long time don't recognize how high the skill like climb is to get semi decent. Like, you start off and like you you spend years being like just really unsatisfactorily bad. That was Elliot Slavin. Elliot's been a part of the community for over a decade and is responsible for creating squos as well as assembly playing cards. He's been around for a long time and has a lot of knowledge, and I think you guys will really love this episode. First off, I'd like to open up with a question I like to ask everybody, and I know it's one that people asked to hear about when I was uh, asking Instagram what they wanted to hear, and that's just talking about the creative process and kind of how do you make a move if you go about making a move. When you sit down and you get a deck of cards, just like in your day-to-day life, there's kind of, I think you can kind of go into two modes. There's the mode where you just do cardistry and you just practice cardistry and you just go through the motions. And often you're not kind of critically thinking about it. You're kind of just flying, you're just doing it. Um, and then there's the other state of cardistry where you sit down with the deck and you're actively engaging in it and you're engaging and creating and trying to come up with ideas, kind of go down the pathways that you don't naturally want to go because you don't have the muscle memory to do them and, and find something interesting. And quite frankly, I pick up deck of cards and I'm always just practice mode. I'm always just like going through the process of actually doing cardistry. Um, I spend very little time actually sort of sitting down and being like, let's create a move or like, let's find something interesting or find something new. Um, and as a result of that, I, cause it's like a skill, right? Like there's people um, like, you know, I think of people like Samuel Pratt and like Matt Samuel, all the Samuels. Um, and they, um, they're just really good at the actual process of creation. Like, they can really just turn it on. They can be like, cool, we're creating now. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, like you, as you might know, like, Matt Samuel did the whole, like, cut a day kind of thing. Where he, every day he's like, I'm going to make a move. I'm going to make a new move in a really short amount of time and get it out there no matter, you know, no matter what. Um, and, like, that's just not for me, hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm 100% just a, an intuitive move creator where I'll just sit down, flow around, um, find something interesting, and then just keep kind of going down that angle. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have a process at all. I've talked about this on this show before that there's people that like create things. And then there's also people that kind of perfect the things that they either made or have learned. Um, I think what I see a lot with you, or I think most people would see with you is like your moves, you tend to be really smooth, not necessarily smooth, but they have a really nice tempo to them in my opinion. I think that might be just from the repetition of fiddling around. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing is like um, the enjoyment you get from cardistry, right? So like I enjoy doing cardistry. Have, have you heard of something called flow state? It's like a mental mode. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoy it because of the flow state aspect. I enjoy it when you know you hit that move perfectly and you just keep going and you don't have pauses in between the moves. You just go and go and go and go and go. You know, listening to music while you're thinking about something else, like. I have like decks of cards at my work and I'll sit down on my computer. I'll be thinking about a problem. I'm just shuffling like all, all fucking day. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that enjoyment comes from that intrinsic activity of 
hitting that kind of flow state of hitting that, you know, nailing the move, getting the enjoyment. And so as a result of that, I really don't like doing hard moves. Like <laughs> I'll have cuts. I used to have cuts, which were like quite complicated and I still do them, but I'd, I'd make things simpler. Like I'll simplify moves a lot to be able to do them more comfortably, to be able to do them easier, to be able to do them faster. Um, which is interesting because I, you know, I think this really like, like cardistry has this kind of motivation aspect like why are you doing cardistry what like what do you enjoy about it and the reality is like i don't think like cardistry is real fucking hard like let's just be honest like it's really hard like i think a lot of yeah. people enjoy it for a long time don't recognize how high the skill like climb is to get semi-decent like you start off and like you you spend years being like just really unsatisfactorily bad um before you get anywhere good and i think a lot of people think you know, they'll see some artists and they'll think, oh man, like, that's so cool. Like, I want to do that. And like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna practice harder than anyone else. Like, I'm, I'm so motivated to do this and I'm just gonna push and push. I'm gonna put in the hours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get good. Um, but like that kind of motivation angle, I feel doesn't work for a lot of people because the hill is so huge to climb. Like going from like zero to decent is years, like years of your life. Um, on this really bizarre hobby that like nobody else really in the world understands. Like, I think there's a very good reason why most people get into cardistry when they're a teenager. It's because no like living adult with a job and responsibilities and shit would be like, oh, I just discovered this thing called cardistry. Let's give it a go. Like I know I know a few people have done that, um, but it's a, it, they're really exceptions to the case. That that motivation aspect. Like I enjoy doing cardistry because of its intrinsic motivations. Like it's intrinsically fun to do it's enjoyable, it's relaxing, it's, you know, mindfulness, it's arguably a meditative process, like, I find it very good to do as kind of like a relaxation or a way to sort of focus on something else that I'm thinking about. Um, and it's actually really interesting because like Instagram came along to the world of cardistry and it added this really super obvious extrinsic motivation that added this way of like getting good feeling from doing cardistry that's not controlled by yourself um mm -hmm. I, I don't i'm not 100 sure if that's always a good thing i don't think it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah like a lot of my moves a lot of my moves are made to really just optimize that intrinsic motivation pathway for myself because that's just what i like doing like you know there's moves that are hard and i just don't practice them i just don't do them and there's not to say that i don't do hard moves like i have some like pretty pretty hard moves, but like, I really enjoy nailing them and that makes them, that makes them fun. Um, but yeah, moves, structures, things that break the flow, things that slow it down, things that just, uh, that kind of like, you know, that little stumbling block in the cart, like I just, I'm like, nah, cut it. Don't do it. Like <laughs> roll with it. Um, yeah. Like, so for example, my move squeeze, right? There's a variation of Darren's cut squow. sorry. My move squows variation of Darren cut squeeze that was me learning squoes oh sorry squeeze and being like oh i like this but it has too many stopping points and so i just started doing it differently and that's how it happened like i didn't sit down and create that move from thin air it's entirely just like let's get this cut and smooth it out let's just make it really really easy and simple to execute so that it's more enjoyable for myself what's it like like Squows, I don't know that's necessarily a beginner move, but it's like a really well-known move 
that a lot of people can associate with? What's it kind of like being the creator of something well-known in the community? It's interesting because, like, it was a real slow burn. Like, I just, I was, you know, I was at my dad's place for Christmas or something, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's just record a video, record a little tutorial, put it out. And, like, it really didn't get, like, a whole bunch of exposure right away. Like, it didn't really get people learning it from day one. Um, mm -hmm. But, I don't know, YouTube algorithm just kind of latched onto it, and it slowly just grew and grew and grew. Um, like, a lot of people have learned it now, and I've seen a lot of people do it. Um, it's good, yeah. Like, it's really, really good. And I think I think it really shows the value of making tutorials. Like, back in the day in Cardistry, people would, like, you know, try and make tutorials and sell them, or they'd make tutorials and have them, you know, released alongside a product or something. And the kind of financial um, desire to make tutorials are really slowing down. Like, no one, no one pays for a tutorial these days. Um, or, like, a DVD something like that, remember that in the videos, be like, yeah, I've got 14 moves by my VHS. Um, but I think it shows that tutorials are really great um, thing for people to make just as content because they're just such a slow burn, like they'll just keep ticking over. Um, and I think a lot of brands just spend more time doing them. In terms of like being known of making it, like it's, it's the same old, like it doesn't really make too much of a difference, like to yeah. me, to be honest. Like, I, you know, I'll see some people doing it. I'm like, that's cool. I got to admit, I've never really seen anyone execute it. And I've been like, yeah, bang on, you nailed it. Every single time I'm like, eh, almost. <laughs> like, I know like some people where scrolls is their favorite move. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to be able to talk with like you, the person that made it, or like Kevin Hull with Backdrop, like being able to talk to these people. Because even, I don't know when you released the tour, it was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, it was, I can't remember how long ago, it was ages. But like how these things have cemented themselves in, in the community, it's quite interesting. And especially you saying like it was a slow burn, because I think uh, with a lot of people, they release a move that they're really happy with, a tutorial for it, or just release it out and it doesn't get the reception they expect. Um, but like people don't realize that a lot of this stuff slowly, like you said, it's a slow burn, um, it's slow growth. Especially for tutorials, they continually get views, I've noticed, um, because people are constantly learning stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, f I feel like there's lots of value in making moves for, sorry, making tutorials for like, I, I guess you could call them slights, like, like you know, for example, like a one-handed cut, like a really simple one. So it's the kind of thing that you can use to build upon other things, really tiny little micro motions that can be then kind of assembled into other bigger things. Um, I see a lot of value in doing stuff for that, because often... You know, often it sort of takes just like one new motion or one sort of new uh, one-handed cut concept to really open up a huge sort of range of ideas. Like if you look at like, for example, like Trigger by Oliver, like if you look at how many cuts and slights and combos and things have been made incorporating that move, it's it's nuts, right? Like um, I think there's lots of value in putting out those, those small motions rather than sort of like a big full complete meal and just sort of say, look, here's, you know, here's a little thing you can incorporate. And then oh, so many uh, people have so many ideas of how they can fit that in. I think what you said with like the one, like the one movement, like can really change a lot of what you think. I definitely agree with that. I, I recently, for like the one year anniversary of the show, I released a couple of tutorials and moves I've made. And I didn't really notice until like I started to make those tutorials that like I have a scissor cut in like almost all my moves and I don't even like think about it or notice it until I made the tutorial. So like now I purposely am trying to avoid the scissor cut 
but it, it is funny how like one motion can show up so much in a range of different um, ideas. And then obviously right now you've been using um, some assembly cards, I know at least three decks. Um, kind of the process of designing all those. In terms of, the, yeah, the, obviously all the backs are different, um, so it might, it does does actually make quite a lot of effort, like even when I was doing clouded paper, um, not so much in terms of like sort of critical thinking effort, but sort of more like you have to go through the motion of every single card. Um, so it really does, it really does take up a lot of time. Um, but you, you kind of design a system. So for example, like with uh, graphic 303, so the design is three different shapes, um, square, circle, or triangle with three different colors. And they also have a unique order. So obviously it can be like this way or this way. Um, so what I did was I, I assigned, um, a number to every single like combination of so like red square yellow circle green triangle whatever um and then i put them through like a order generator so i could generate all the possible combinations there's like 504 um and then mm -hmm. i went through and manually kind of stripped them out and then created them all back because what i really didn't want to happen was to have too much of one color coming through you know like you could randomly generate a deck and it would be randomly really yellow randomly really red i needed like an even distribution um mm -hmm. so you kind of design a system and you kind of just go through the system um but it's pretty it's pretty methodical even with like uh the logo ones so like they've all got these variations of the logo which were mm -hmm. different um different permutations so there's some like that with diagonals um i actually had always planned for the assembly logo to be like that yeah, like the original logo I first put on clouded paper was always designed to be um, permutated for every single deck. Um, but you just make a system, right? So like I did X amount with only vertical lines, a certain amount with only horizontal lines, a certain amount with diagonal lines, a certain amount with combinations. Um, and you just kind of set boundaries and then go through them, go through them, the motions pretty much. I think it's really interesting the decks that you made. I've, um, I'm a huge fan of like different back design on every card of, of all 52. Um, especially as a cardist, I feel like it's just cardistry specific, which I enjoy. Um, but I really like, like with your decks, even clouded paper, where it all um, fits to a theme. So like they all look similar, but they are each individually different. A really good example of this kind of style of design used outside of decks actually is um, this, there's this really famous logo designer. I think he made the MasterCard logo actually. Um, but he designed the logo for the Hillary Clinton campaign back in some time period. Um, and he designed the logo in a way that they could um, alter it for every single state that they were going to. So they would kind of get the system and then customize it. Um, but obviously it has to hit a theme and it has to all feel the same. You have to be able to look at it and think to yourself, oh yes, this is part of this political campaign. Um, and that was just a really great example of that style being um, shown. But yeah. They all have to fit a family. They have to feel like the same deck of cards. How I know you used Carter Mooney to um, do the customs, to do the, a little bit lower quantity. I know we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but what was it like working with Carter Mooney and um, getting the, the smaller quantities, being able to do three at once? Oh, the, 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 yeah, it was great, quite frankly. The, the, so I met, when I was in um, Hong Kong Cardistry Con, I met Jers from Carter Mundi, um, who's one of the... I don't know what he does there, but he's sort of like the main person in Cardamundi who interacts with the Cardamundi community. Um, 
and yeah, it's just a really, really cool dude. And it was really great talking to them and just understanding how it works. And that's when I first started talking to them about digital printing because I've got these decks I want to make and like, I know they're really niche ideas, like, but I kind of still want to get them on paper. And so it's very challenging to say, you know, I'm going to print a thousand of one design. Like if for these three cards I printed a combination, I printed 1200 decks in total. If I'd gone ahead and printed 3000, I would be in a much trickier situation of having to push out these cards to quite frankly, a really niche market. Like there's not many cardists out there that are really truly designed for cardistry. I know there's lots of decks which say like, yeah, this is a deck for cardistry. This is designed for cardists, but they're also applicable to laymen, to card collectors, to magicians. For example, like the Verts deck, right? Everyone, it's sort of marketed as this deck for cardistry, which it is. It's very much designed for cardistry, but it's not a cardistry only deck. Um, and I think it gets quite challenging when you start trying to produce cardistry only decks. Um, cardistry Touch is an example of a brand that do actually cardistry only decks. Obviously, all their faces are the same. They don't have faces on them, which was another really interesting thing at the time. But I think the thing that actually started, started getting people's uh, minds taking over about the concept of like, yeah, what if all the backs were different um, were when squids came out. Um, because squids, um, or trainers, as I guess you can also call them, they were so very obviously just for cardistry. Like you couldn't do anything else with them. And you, you'll notice from very early on, they actually all had different back designs. And it was easy because you only had to make four of them. You didn't have to make 52 or 56 different back designs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of when, I, I think that's actually when I first saw that, I thought, yeah, that's that's a really fucking cool idea. We should we should sort of open this up a bit more, have more opportunities. Because there is actually a very limited number of things you can do with a traditional back design. Like the number of compositions, like you can really ham it up to ones that have kind of got two focal points, ones that have got a center focal point, ones which have pattern um, or some sort of like grid structure. The, the number of compositions is actually really quite low. Yeah, it's, that's kind of interesting to think about too when you limit yourself to, you know, being a two-way back design or even sometimes one way, you're like limiting the possibilities of what you can create. Yeah, I mean with this one it was 504 combinations. That's, that's the potential maximum you can make. Um, I did actually work it out. Um, yeah, and I think it's interesting because like cards, cards are actually pretty easy product to produce. Um, you know, they don't go bad, they don't have a shelf life. Um, and digital printing does mean you can now produce them in much smaller quantities. I'd really like to see, you know, more people using custom decks. Like you do look at a lot of what people use and you see all the same brands popping up all the time, which is great. But um, yeah, just upping the variation, like why not? Like I do, I would love the idea of, Honestly, if I could produce cards in a much smaller quantity, if I could produce 50 of them at a time, I, I totally would. Um, I just can't because you have to put them in a certain number of scale to really make it financially viable. I think it'll be interesting too to see, like, I mean, make playing cards is obviously making, has made a lot of strides in my opinion. If we ever get to the point where like custom deck, like just printing out a custom deck costs similar, I'm not, I'm not if it's always going to be more, but similar to if you would do a big run. Yeah, I think I think actually a lot of that will come down to whether the whether people decide to accept their finishing stock as good, um, and it's really improved so much since since the early days. Like when I 
I used them obviously to make some prototypes when I did cloud of paper and they were okay, but the, the new prototypes get better and better every year. I don't know that I've shown this on, like, this isn't like mind blowing or anything, but I don't think I've shown this ever before, um, on like video, but like I custom made, um, do you know the show Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was really into Yu-Gi-Oh and like the anime, the cards look different or the cartoon, the cards look different than what they came in in real life, like how they came in booster packs and stuff. It's like... I had my friend make the design of how they show up on the anime and then custom made them. This was like really cool for me and like something like it's, it's not the most best feeling deck, but it feels fine enough. And it's like, I'm the only one that has one of these. It's really specific to my childhood. Like I'm this deck, like is more special to me than like most us like decks that feel better because it's personal to me. The other interesting thing actually about feeling, as you say, is like people do get very particular about stocks and finish and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And like when you're making cards, you have to make a decision. For example, like, am I going to use crushed stock? Am I going to use normal stock? Um, and you can never really please everyone. Like there's always someone who's like, oh, you know, it's not the stock for me. Um, and you know, for a long time, I think even Card and cards were considered kind of not as good. People definitely had preferences. Um, but I personally find for like how I use cards, like I like to really break in my cards like a lot. Um, they all break in the same, right? Like the moment you wear off the finish, they're, they're really quite similar. The stock does make a little bit of much, a little bit of difference, but how they feel on day one is kind of irrelevant to how they feel two months from now. And I think almost every deck, if you do use them for two months, they'll feel pretty good. But also as you use them repeatedly, you kind of build up that memory of how they work like you get more acquainted to mm -hmm. how they as a deck fit together um so i do i do find the whole sort of like feel argument a bit a bit silly um and brands do definitely like over sell their uh their, their like product like you know you see lots of people who um you know premium crushed b stock premium linoid finish um xyz when you actually go and print some cards they're kind of like yeah we've got the stock we've got the squish stock and you can have smooth or you can have bumps like the actual options provided are way lower than brands make it appear um mm -hmm. for example like digital printing like these ones for some reason illusionists call this like specific finish and stock combination like the e7 finish or something like that but it's just it's just standard cardamundi slimline stock with their standard um, embossed finish instead of smooth. Um, there isn't really as much variation as it might seem. Um, a yeah. lot of it is just kind of random marketing. Yeah. One thing that always annoys me in like playing card reviews is they'll always rank how it feels and they're always, it's always, it feels good and springy and I'm like, yeah, they're going to feel exactly the same as like, there's minor differences, obviously, depending on like the paper that they get it from and stuff, but it's all relatively going to be good the way they feel can vary a huge amount amount of run like the run itself right like if you get a thousand decks they've used a lot of paper and there's no guarantee that the paper they use for deck one will feel like the paper they use for deck thousand right like because it's literally like a bit of wood squished down to a certain density and so you do will sometimes just randomly be like this bit feels a little thinner this bit feels a little thicker like for example these cards that i printed these ones feel thinner than these ones slightly just a little bit and i don't think it's just the ink like they're both pretty pretty black and solid um mm -hmm. 
So even, you know, even within a stock itself, within a run, there's no guarantee they all feel the same. So just because someone like opened a really good pack doesn't mean that even if you open the same pack from the same run, that it will be as good. And usually because when you buy, let's say you buy a brick, you're not buying 12 decks from distributed all among the printing. You're probably getting 12 from the one point in time. Um, so if the, you won't even notice the variations within them unless you buy mm -hmm. multiple points again and again and again. I think um, actually the, the comment about, um, I guess the point about cardistry being a meditative, mindful practice is an interesting one. Because um, I've been I've been in the cardistry community for a long time, like I think I'm coming up to year 13 or 14 or something, maybe 12, I don't know, long enough that I've forgotten. Um, and there's definitely, how do I say this nicely, there's definitely a lot of interesting characters in the cardistry community. Like there's a lot of people mm -hmm. who are like a little bit weird, like let's be real. Because <laughs> it is a weird hobby, it's very weird, like not many people yeah. do it. Like, you know, in New Zealand, this huge country, I can think of four or five cardists, which is amazing. Back in the day, it used to just be one, which was just me. Um, and I, it's kind of interesting, like, who are the people who are drawn to cardistry? I think they also have a common theme of liking things that are quite hard, like, <laughs> quite challenging, yeah. like, really tricky video games. Um, you know, like, I, I know quite a few cardists who are interested in things like speedrunning, um, yeah. niche, challenging video game, stuff like that. Um, and it does also kind of make you think, like, are the people who are into cardistry, like, is it sort of good for them in some sense? Like, do people keep doing it because they, it works for them and who they are? Um, yeah. I guess, like, mental health is not something that's talked a lot about in the cardistry community. Um, but it's a quite common topic. Like, I do know quite a few cardists who have their own struggles with mental health. Um, and I would probably say that there's more cases or more instances or more sort of prevalence of this in cardistry than other hobbies, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's got partially got to do with how niche it is. Um, but I think it's also partially got to do with how it's a, such a calming thing in some senses. And so people who might be seeking that might be needing it. Yeah, it's not really a question, I guess yeah. it's more a comment, thought I've always had. Elliot, thank you for being on the show. I really think people will gain a lot of knowledge and, and insight into kind of your, your thought process and when it comes to creating cards and making cardistry and, and performing it. At the end of the show, I like to do what I call rule out the close-up pad. And that just means, is there anything that you would like to promote or any last nugget you'd like to leave the audience with? I mean, if you're interested in my cards, go, go get some. Um, I've... I think about 25% of the stocks left, so they won't be around forever, but they're definitely there if you're, if you're keen on them. Um, yeah, man, just make some cards, post some shit, get on the gram, put some shit out. Like, <laughs> cardistry only happens when people actually make it happen, and so we all, we all got to do our part, we all got to post some those, so post some those. As always, I'll have links to Elliot's uh, social media and all that stuff in the description, and obviously a link to assembly cards if you are interested in the deck. Um, try to get them before they sell out. Hopefully they're not sold out by the time this is posted, otherwise that'll be awkward. Um, thank you guys for watching. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys learned something. And uh, LA, it was a pleasure having you and we'll see you guys later.